Thank you for the privilege to, to be here again. And it seems like it's a yearly thing. And it's always good to touch, uh, uh, touch uh, your lives and you touch our lives as we fellowship with you. And uh, it's good to have Barb joining the board and uh, pray for her. She's got a lot to learn. And, uh, uh, and we we're excited for that relationship as well. Burn read from Luke chapter 24, uh, the story of the two disciples who met Jesus after his resurrection. And uh, I want to draw your attention to that again. And before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning that what you share with us through your word, that, Father, it would touch our hearts right where they need to be touched because we know that your word is effective. In Jesus' name, amen. They had followed him. They had learned from him. They listened to his teaching. He had foretold many wonderful things about the future. They had trusted him implicitly. But now he had been crucified. Their hopes were buried in the tomb with him. And even though the women had come and testified that they had seen him. And even though Peter and John had found the grave empty, there's one fact that remained. They did not see Jesus. They couldn't find him. And that was an aching void in these disciples' lives. And as we read the story of the Emmaus Road, we get the sense that they were really sad. They were doubtful. They were in despair. They were leaving Jerusalem going, in a sense, back home. What's the point? And as they are walking, I think one of the most amazing verses of Scripture, because of what it implies, in verse 16 or actually the end of verse 15, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Himself. That word, Jesus, it just wasn't Jesus. It was Jesus himself. means it was in physical form. He was alive They didn't recognize him, but he was alive. And I think that word himself speaks to us as we look back on this story to realize that he is real. He is personal. The very subject of their conversation is now walking with them. It says he drew near. 
when you draw near to somebody, you're walking right next to. It wasn't from a distance. It wasn't like he was, you know, on the side of the road and they were on the other side. They, he drew near. Jesus drew near. And when Jesus draws near, he always wants to make some further revelation about himself. When was the last time Jesus drew near to you? Or you drew near to him? What did he reveal about himself? Well, it says also that Jesus went with them. And he goes with us as individual disciples. He guides us. He guards us. He encourages us. He renews us. And he wants to, and he does share the qualities of his own life with us. Jesus himself drew near. What did he hear when he drew near? One translation says that they were sad. This one says their faces were downcast. So he noticed that they were sad. They had said, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. As if to say, all the promises that he had promised, they said that he would rise in three days and we haven't seen him. All we've heard that he's not in the grave, but we still haven't seen him. So they were doubting. They were in the the sadness of doubt. And doubt is always sad. Doubt is always sad. I guess we wouldn't necessarily be surprised that they're doubting. I mean, their faith had just been shattered. Their faith was not seen anymore. Their faith was in Christ and in Jesus and what he was going to do. And he was not there. So they thought. See, doubt is a state of suspense in which the mind is not made up of either to believe or not. So it's that almost that no man's land between do I believe or do I not believe. The difference between it and unbelief, unbelief is already decided I am not going to believe. But doubt still has that softness about it that you can be Swayed one way or the other. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus asks them a number of questions, and then it says in verse 27 And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what is said in all the scriptures concerning them. How would you like to be those two disciples? Walking along the road to Emmaus and having the Lord himself take the scriptures and start sharing 
all the references and all the stories that reflect him in the writings of the Old Testament. What a Sunday school lesson that would be, right? He taught them from the scriptures. I don't know how long it took. It says that it's about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We don't know how far they were along the way when Jesus actually joined them. Uh, But I imagine likely as I know when we travel, and we sometimes travel great distances to Ontario and whatever, and you, you put a CD in, and next thing you know, man, the miles have just gone by because it's something that you were just intent on. And I can well imagine that this, this journey, even though it was a, for them a sad journey because they were in doubt, they were sad, they were not really... Um, interested in knowing too much because their hopes had been dashed. But Jesus started to speak. It must have impressed them because it says that they wanted, they were going to uh, settle in for the night and Jesus was going to move on and they said, no, 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 stay with us. They probably wanted to hear more. Is that how we see Jesus? When Jesus starts speaking to us? Do we say, keep on. We we want to know more. Stay with us, they said. It's near evening and day is almost over. It's been a long day. It's been a sad journey. Uh, It's, you know, we, we just want to settle in. It says that he stayed with them, and then he took the bread, he broke it, and their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. I read an interesting story about a miner, an old miner who had lived the life of a hermit deep in the mountains of Colorado. When he died, some of his distant relatives came to collect the valuables. They arrived to find the miner's shack with an outhouse behind it. Inside the shack, there was an old cooking pot, some mining equipment, and a cracked table with three-legged chair that stood next to the tiny window. A well A well-used kerosene lamp stood as the centerpiece on the table. And as his relatives gathered up the miner's possessions, loaded them in a truck, and got ready to drive away, the miner's old friend came walking up. And he called to them and said, Do you mind if I take what is left in that old shack? Oh, no, they said. Take it. We have all the valuable stuff. You can have whatever is in there. The man thanked them, and they drove off. He walked over to the friend's shack. He went in, and he looked around for a little bit. Then he reached under the table and lifted one of the floorboards. And little by little, he lifted out all of the gold his friend 
had discovered over the previous decades. Millions of dollars worth of gold. Apparently, the old miner had died with only his true friend knowing his actual worth. You know, in the same way, the friend of Jesus, the friend of sinners, Jesus Christ, wants to make himself known to us. But sometimes we treat him like a distant relative, and we really don't know him at all. And yet, if we get to know him, we would discover the riches that are ours in him. And where are these riches? They're found in God's word. Hebrews 10.7 says, in, Jesus was uh, using this, and he says, In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Just as these disciples on the road, of, road to Emmaus heard Jesus start from Moses through the prophets, describing everything concerning himself. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And I think one of the most um, descriptive passages of scripture on what the Bible is, is Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says this, And the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the, sh- of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Three things. It converts the soul. That is, it refreshes, it restores, it transforms the soul. God's word is so powerful, it is able to take an unsaved unregenerate, uninterested individual, hard heart, and absolutely turn it around. Every one of us here this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, know the power of God's word because it has changed your heart. That verse goes on to explain that it it expands wisdom. The word testimony here says the testimony of the Lord is sure. The word testimony is the picture of God witnessing to himself. It's like God is taking the witness stand to testify to who he is. To what he is like and to what he will do for you. God on the witness stand. God sharing the truth under oath, under oath to himself. He did not have to do it, but he does, and that testimony is sure. That is, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's guaranteed, it's dependable. It stands firm because God said it. And you might say, Well, how reliable really is it? The verse goes on to say it makes wise the simple. The problem we have is not just the hard hearts prior to salvation. 
it's often a naive and foolish heart. We tend to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And that's the idea behind this word simple. It comes from a Hebrew root word that speaks of an open door. And it's the idea of a person whose mind is like an open door that he or she accepts anything and anything that's coming at it. An open and unguarded mind. The world says that that's good. We're supposed to be open-minded. But godly wisdom says no. Godly wisdom says we need to control the access to our mind. G.K. Chesterton said the problem with a lot of open minds is they need to be closed down for repairs. The problem with a lot of open minds is that there's too much coming in. We can't decipher it. And so we need to control it. And God's word does that. It makes wise the simple. We could go on into that chapter and and look at each one of those verses. And there's unique things about God's word in Psalm 19. But Jesus, to these disciples, takes God's word, the scriptures, and he begins to speak. We know that he spoke, he stayed with them, he broke bread, and then he revealed himself. And immediately he disappeared. What would you do? What would your response be? Well, these people, these gentlemen, these disciples, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now there's, not, now there's some excitement. They went from sadness to gladness. They were transformed. A transformation had taken place. Why? Because they had walked with Jesus. They had learned of Jesus in the scriptures. And that can be also true of us. I don't know what your heart is like this morning or what situation you're facing, If whether it's sadness, whether it's despair, whether it's doubt. Look to the scriptures. Look to the God of the scriptures, and he can transform your heart into gladness. I always like to sort of read between the lines in in scripture, uh, and I think it's written in such a way that it allows you to expand and uh, sort of picture the scene. But here, they're just saying, you know, didn't our hearts burn within us? And they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Immediately, they got up. Just a couple of verses earlier, it said that, you know, the day is far spent, and it's been, you know, they were downcast. They, you know, let's, let's just hang it up for the day. Not anymore. They had finally seen Jesus. They finally understood him. 
they got up and they returned that seven miles back to Jerusalem. And what did they find? They found the disciples praising God. They found the disciples. And then they told their story, which only added to the rejoicing. I say all this to say that God's word is important. God's word changed their life as Jesus shared it with them. God's word can change your life. It is truthful. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's word is his testimony. It's his witness of himself to us. The question is, do we really believe it? Do we stand firm on it? There's all kinds of open-minded people out there, and they want us to be open-minded. But let's be true-minded as we look at God's word I'm going to close by reading Psalm 19, 7 through 11. And then I challenge you to take that this week and read it every day. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. God's word, we can stand firm on it. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for the story of these Emmaus disciples that show us that even in doubt, your word can speak and bring a transformation from sadness to gladness. So, Father, this morning, may we leave this place with gladness in our hearts. In Jesus' name.